Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Because I think it's important, before I introduce my next guest, I'd like to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to remind and continue to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd very much appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, people you know, people you don't know, and please rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And hey, while you're at it, why not follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page? So thank you again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely and very sincerely appreciated. Okay, so let's get this show started. I'm excited about my guest today as I'm joined again by my wife, Stephanie hanlon Francie. After the first podcast interview with Stephanie, you asked for a part two, dig a little deeper, get to know her a little bit better. Some listeners, maybe two, even suggested I talk less. Gosh, I'll do my best to do that. So if you didn't listen to episode number 31, which was Stephanie's first time on the podcast, I encourage you to listen to that podcast and my introduction of her because I got into it a little bit deeper. For today, I will keep a, you know, I'll keep the intro a little bit shorter, which is to say that Stephanie is a business owner. She's an international speaker, Olympic and world level performance coach, mentor, innovator, pioneer, and pathfinder for entrepreneurs and leaders. She has built a reputation for results as a skilled personal and professional development workshop leader and facilitator. She is the managing partner and CEO of one of our businesses, Skate Tech Group of Companies. She's a strategic partner in the Montreal Training School EPMIS, which is the acronym for École Patinage et Montreal International Skating School. She is multiple award winner in many aspects of business. And on top of all this and much, much more, she is the CEO of our life. She is a grandmother of two amazing grandchildren. She is my anchor and the love of my life. And let's get on with this podcast and this conversation. Stephanie Hanlon, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thank you, Patrick Francie. It's lovely to be here again. Yeah, you're uh, you're twice up now. Interesting that only Alan Kahn has ever been on the podcast twice. 
Uh, he's actually three times um, that we've had him on the show, and that's uh, based on a lot of great feedback that we got from people. And then we did your podcast interview shortly after Olympics, when you returned from Olympics. And um, lots of people say you need to finish that conversation. Go to part two. Hmm. Well, hopefully there's a part two at this point. I don't, uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about today, buddy. Well, let's figure it out. The, it's Sunday morning, relatively mid, kind of mid-morning, and uh, we're Poolside Studio. We're having a cup of coffee, and I really wanted to continue the conversation. I know there were some things we stepped over, and you know, you've got such a broad resume and, and depth of resume, and you do some really cool things. And, and I think overall, the listeners just asked to go a little bit deeper on some subjects and, and had some comments around it. Lots of feedback on it. Um, some of it was pretty negative. You know, I felt, you know, I took a couple things personally when we had some close friends say, Patrick, quit talking so much. Let <laughs> Stephanie talk. Like, gosh. Okay. We get that feedback a lot, especially at dinner parties. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> anyway, so let's get into some stuff here. Um, I don't think I, in the last podcast, uh, and, and there's some going to be some listeners that are hearing this that didn't hear your original podcast, so that's great. Stephanie Hanlon, you've been to the Olympics a couple of times. You're a performance coach, both athletic and business, uh, what we call a performance coach or what you call a performance coach. And let's start by your... 30 second elevator pitch. So when people that you meet for the first time say, Hey, Stephanie, so what do you do? Well, the first thing I say is on what day, (laughs) Mm. but the truth is, um, I support and assist high performance people to become their best selves from the inside out, whether they're athletes, um, high performance individuals in business, entrepreneurs, et cetera. Okay. So let's, why don't we start there? You know, first off, what the heck do you mean by inside out? Well, the discovery of any journey that I've been on has started always with a shift inside, an internal shift. And um, so when I say from the inside out, um, performance is just a state of being. It's a conversation and it's a it's a way of existing in the world that can't be fake. You have to be authentic and true performance when you're really connected and touched by a performance is because the athlete, the performer, the business person is truly connected to their own best self. Okay, so... I want to hear, let's keep digging into this. You know, I mean, we've been hanging out for 25 years plus. Uh, you've been doing what you've been doing for that long and more. Give me, you know, one of the revelations I had, I don't know if it's a revelation, but a realization I had in knowing you for so many years and working with you and doing all the things that you do. Something that showed up for me is you went to the Olympics with a number of actually uh, dance teams, figure skating in the figure skating world, the figure skating dance teams, you have France, US, um, who else was there? Uh, uh, Canada. Spain. No, Spain wasn't at Olympics this year, but I have been to worlds and Europeans with Spain. So who all were you at Olympics Canada with? France? France was who I was accredited with. That's yes. Who you were but with. the team uh, of coaches, we had two French teams, a Canadian team and the US team. Okay. So, so what I got to in thinking about that, you've got these world-class athletes that you work with. And I mean, that includes, by the way, NHL hockey players and skaters or players that want to play at that level. So here's here's what I got to. Fundamentally, you are what we call or what you call a performance coach. So you've got dancers and athletes who have all of the technical coaching. They've got people that, you know, do this, do that. They've got off-ice, on-ice trainers. They've got nutritionists nutritional kind of support. 
they got physiotherapists. They've got um, psychologists, you you quite possibly mm-hmm. a psychologist. You bet. And so they're supported like crazy. So where the hell do you fit in? <laughs> I ask myself that every day. <laughs> so and they can't seem to live without you. Our phones ring in. We got Zoom. We got people going. Stephanie, can you help me out here? So tell me about what is getting in the way of an athlete being their best that, you know, given all of the technical coaching, all of the other things that we just mentioned, or I just mentioned, where do you fit? Like, why is it that you are in demand, have been for many years? Why is that? Well, I think... Because there's a thing here. There's no such thing as a performance coach. No, like you don't go I, to school to become a performance no, coach. I made it up. So let's twenty years ago. I, I, and I'm going to stop talking to all of those who say Patrick <laughs> quit talking so much. But I, I, I know you're just so proud of me. I'm. I am very proud of you. You know, you're world class. You know, you're world. You got a world class business called Quantum Speed. You're a world class performance coach. You're a world class friend. You're a world class wife. You know, that's my. You, you're my. You know, gold medalist. So. But go back to what I asked. Okay. Where does performance coaching live in the world of athletes or business people who are support, supported everywhere? Well, it's true. And, and when you get to a certain level of athleticism and you've made the commitment as an athlete or as a coach that you want to be on a certain journey and a trajectory, it's about identifying what you have to do and who you need to become to do that. And what I've been able to really focus in on it as a niche or just as a, a, a way of being myself is that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a space holder. I'm a space holder for people to just dig in and figure out what's in their way. And it started with hockey players on the ice. You know, I would be skating around with them or I'd be poking fun or I'd be racing them. And at one point I had... Um, can I use names? NHL mm, skating? That's up to you. Yeah. Well, George LaRock, who was an Edmonton Oiler for many years and, and uh, just an all-around great guy. And he was really stuck on his skating and people were criticizing with him with his skating and they wanted to put him in the role of always as a role of fighter. And he was a big, strong, tough guy, but with a giant heart. And I just couldn't have, I just didn't have a breakthrough moment with him with the skating and and he just wasn't connecting with me and I wasn't connecting with him. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm not the right skating coach. So at the end of practice one day, I called him down just over to behind the goal line and behind the net and we were sitting there just chatting about some stuff. And I had heard that he had gone out the night before. And so I was just jabbing him a little bit about going dancing and man, he could dance. And it hit me. If that guy can dance like he can dance, why can't he skate? Where's the disconnect in the movement? So I said, do you want to dance? And he looked at me and I'm in my giant Oilers tracksuit and my hair in a ponytail and coffee breath. And, you know, it's nine in the morning and he's, well, I'm going to say where he was, but, you know, we stand and he started, he's, he kind of got it and he started moving and he started, you know, shifting his weight from one skate to the other and, and started moving his hips and moving his shoulders and his head started bobbing a bit. And, you know, it's kind of late nineties kind of jiving. And all of a sudden something just landed. It just went clunk. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I went, I think, I think we got something here. So we started to skate and I says, you know, just follow my rhythm, George, follow my rhythm, follow my rhythm. So he just started following me and transferring his weight from one leg to the other, using his glutes, using his hips, getting his upper body out of the way because he was trying to do everything so forcefully. And it just sort of landed. It went clunk. So by tech, second or third round around the ice, when the Zamboni was starting to come out, he just looked at me and he's like, yeah, I, I think I get this thing. So performance whether it's skating or dancing or ice dancing or opera singing or, or standing on stage, you know, speaking to real estate investors, it's where are you the most authentic? And that's where 
to me where performance lives. It's not about being fake. It's about connecting to that place inside where you can be fully authentic and be fully yourself on purpose, on track, on point, regardless of what people are thinking or judging. Like when George trusted me, there was people in the stands for sure. It was practice and the brass was up there and he trusted me. So when you, that's what I think my, my thing is, is that I find a way to, to bring people to their own selves where they can trust themselves. And then in turn, they, they trust me to do things. So you talk about authenticity or you mentioned the authenticities uh, being authentic. And so how does that, why does that get in the way of performance? So, because there, there's going to be, you know, people listening to this and even myself, I'm going, well, gosh, there's lots of world-class, everything's out there. Do others do this work? Do you think that the best in the world at whatever they do, be it athletic or business or whatever it might be, do you think that being able to connect to your authentic self, and I want to talk about what that means for you. Do you think they are able to do that? In, in your case, you happen to support people in doing that and and that's your circle of influence and that's how you do that. So do you think that's what it takes? Hmm, great question. I think eventually all roads lead home. So we can start at the beginning and start at the top and, and drill down, or you can make your journey however you want to make it to be. You can, you know, pay more people or you can try new things or go to a different skating camp or go to a different performance coach. It doesn't matter. Our journeys are all individual. But what I've discovered for myself, the sooner you can get out of your own way and the sooner you can connect to your authentic self, whatever that means for the person, it could just mean, you know, standing up on stage. I can sense when someone's lying to me. If I'm sitting there and I'm being sold something or somebody isn't really being honest, even if they're not being, if they're just trying to be somebody that they're not, there's a journey around that. So it's not a judgment per se. It's, it's how do you want to experience your journey? Do you want to experience it by, you know, just living a bunch of big fat lies? Do you want to, you know, telling people that you're one thing on one hand and then living another way the other hand? Eventually that catches up to you. So that's what I heard in that is the being authentic is of course integrity and you can, or is it, I mean, to me it is, I mean, if you're not being authentic at some level, whether it's subconscious or conscious, you are out of integrity. I would say out of alignment. Integrity subject. I think it's a subject word because we've talked before that you can, you know, you can be the most honest drug dealer on the whole planet, whether I judge that as Good or bad, well, that, yeah, but there's no a, judgment in nah, there. Well, that's a, yeah, but that's the social values and moral values. Mm-hmm. So, but I can't judge your integrity. You can't judge mine. We can only live in our own integrity. What I'm talking about is being alignment in alignment where you are on your journey. If you only have a certain amount of knowledge and you're still getting the results that you want, then you're getting the results you want. But I'm working with people who want more. They're saying, I know there's something more there, and in order for me to get there, I may have to do something internally, or I may have to shift a thought process, and that's pretty much impossible to do by yourself because we are, we're human beings. We don't like to change. So even at a world-class level, you're having your clients say there's something missing or there's something more. Is that, is that how they show up or how do they show up for you? Like where, where does somebody, how does somebody find you? I mean, aside, you know, I mean, somebody listening to this podcast go, Whoa, she, this, this chick's interesting. I want to work with her, but that's, that's that's not how you do it. I mean, just people just seem to show up. Mm-hmm. So what what how is that do you think? I mean, it's reputation, it's organic. 
Oh, definitely word of mouth. I don't work with anybody that doesn't want to work with me. It's I only go where I'm received, period. So how would they find you? Like, what would they be looking for in order to find you? Well, you've heard the the term, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. Sure. So I really took that to heart years and years ago. And I started just doing my own work, you know, completing my incompletions, cleaning up my own finances, my spiritual self, my fitness, really just doing my own work. And then along the way, I had decided that I wanted something more. And in order for me to want something more, I was like, well, maybe other people want something more. So it's not about what's missing. You know, my clients are not broken and they do not need to be fixed. But what they do notice is somebody maybe I've worked with who had a certain result or they've had an experience with a client and they go, wait a second, where's that from? And then next thing you know, a phone call shows up or someone reaches out. It's, it is that I can't put it on my, you could put, look on my website and you wouldn't get anything. It's like just a, you know, it's just a, a placeholder, an invitation, but truly this is an energetic invitation. So when people come into the space and they've seen what I've done with athletes or how to, you know, people ask me, how did you get Gabriella Papadakis in 24 hours back on track? And you know, the truth is I didn't, she did. I was the space that she could then perform a world record free dance the day after she had a costume malfunction in front of the entire world. I didn't do that. I just was the space and the training and the conversation before so that when it occurred when or whatever occurred, I could just hold her. You know, you. I want to go back to a comment that you made. You used the, the term or you said incompletions. Okay, so that is in fact something that might get in the way of somebody being a top performer or even at a world-class level, it could be split seconds, it could be split points, it could be all sorts of things that, but tell me, give me a list of things that might get in the way of being a top performer. So we've got incompletions. What else? Incompletions are the number one and incompletions spin out into all areas of life. So if you got, if you haven't paid your bills, for example, then there's a financial energy leak that will show up somewhere else. If you've been um, in your fitness, if you haven't been taking care of your body, eventually that turns into an incompletion that could turn on a, a you end up on a journey that you have to go and end up in the hospital or something. You don't know what, how that's going to show up. Um, clutter. You know, for a lot of athletes, their their clutter, you know, their skate bag or their hockey bag could be just absolutely pristine, but their, you know, the office or their bedroom or their car is just a mess. So it doesn't matter where the incompletion shows up. And it doesn't mean they have to have all their socks organized or all their Christmas cards done, you know, three weeks before Christmas. I'm not talking about that. But organization, having the quality and the skill of being organized in the area that you want to be a champion in is a straight line. Incompletions then show up really clear. If they're incomplete in what they need to know around knowledge or finances or um, whatever it is, nutrition, then they have the space to bring that information in. And it doesn't just get piled up on a bunch of stories or, or other things that are that they've tried or, you know, think about opening a vitamin drawer in someone's home or their fridge and you see all the stuff that's in there that doesn't get eaten or taken or whatever. It's just a big pile of clutter. So until you clear that out and create another space, what you do need to know and learn and what you do need to move yourself to the next level can't show up. Okay, so you described a little bit of physical clutter, um, but there's also mental clutter. Now, let's so let's break this down a little bit because now I just got into some some a, a, a thought process here. So there's because you talked about being authentic, and what, what, where does being authentic and what the hell does that even mean? And where does that get in the way of a top performer? Give me, can you give me an example of of authentic or not authentic? 
I mean, inauthentic or inauthentic. Yeah, I guess it's such a you know a, a, a word right now, kind of phrase of the month: authenticity, development, performance coaching. It's sort of a you know, it's sort of a it's trying to be something a catch all, but it's not being authentic means, you know what, if you're, if you're tired, you say, Hey, you know, I'm tired, but I still need to go to the rink today. So it's identifying where you're at in the moment, telling the truth about it, not, not pushing it down. If you're terrified to go out and perform on stage or at the, at a, at a certain, even at a, a local competition, if you're terrified and that fear, or you've got the, the, you know, the butterflies or whatever, it's about acknowledging that in the moment and either finding a way to use that energy, not to squish it down and pretend that it's not there. Cause this whole thinking positive thing out there is, has really gotten in the way of, of, of us as for me, um, in, in, in the community of being authentic. If there's a negative thought, I want to use the power of that thought. That's authenticity. If I'm telling you one thing that I'm this way, but I'm over there acting out in a different way, I'm telling you I want to lose weight, but I'm out there eating 14 chocolate bars. I'm, it's inauthentic. So maybe it is integrity. I don't know. Maybe it's being your word, um, honoring what you say, don't overpromise. To me, identifying where I'm at right here, right now, is what is authenticity. And that's what I try to, and I don't try to, that's what I, I'm committed to moving through with all of my clients, athletic clients, business clients, it doesn't matter. Anything that is in someone's way to them for their journey to success, if they can't identify it, we can't get underneath it, then I, we can't shift it. And then they'll just keep repeating things over and over and over again. You know, time and time again on the podcast as I'm interviewing, well, just say successful people and because and success is always, you know, I guess, subjective or objective, I guess. But the the reality of it is, is we get to things around relationship. Ultimately, it's, you know, we see time and time again, I hear time and time again about relationship and how important it is to their success. You know, the significant others play such a huge role in having success. So in the context of being authentic, given the context of top performance, where does relationship live for your for your business people or your athletes? How do you help, or where do where do you see that getting in the way? Oh boy, you just opened up a big can of worms. Um, well, first of all, is that relationship with self? You know, with themselves. Um, because as individuals, I'm working with with human beings. I'm not working with just athletes or players or skaters. These are people that have real lives. So the first thing I do is, is check in on where their relationship is with themselves. And we spend a lot of time on that. Um, if you're talking about relationship with a, a partner, a primary relationship, a, a external um, love relationship, there's a partnership in, in ice stance that's so dynamic between a man and a woman. Many times they're not a couple. Many times they have relationships outside that, that do get in the way in a positive and or a negative way. But one of the first things we enter is identifying what relationship is with themselves first. And then if I'm dealing with a partnership, say as a nice dancing, we talk about a partnership agreement. What's your agreement with each other? What are you both committed to? What are you aligned? What are you moving towards? And then what happens, then that trust starts to, um, to bubble out again. And then <laughs> it's funny, you know, sometimes I do feel a bit like a marriage counselor, which I'm not, um, because what's beautiful and unique about us as human beings and what we get to bring to the to the party to the competition to whatever it is that we do is our full selves and it, relationship can either support that journey or it can detract from it 
So I haven't been able to find a way through a conversation with somebody that has a relationship that doesn't support the journey that, that the relationship is authentic. Um, if it, if the person that they're with primary, their primary relationship, and it doesn't have to be, you know, um, their partner, but whatever primary relationship they're in, it's either going to affect them in a positive way for their results, or it's going to completely slew foot them, as we say in hockey. Now, when I, okay, so I look at you as my wife and I, and I sometimes feel like I'm a little bit on the outside looking in at what you do and what you achieve. I mean, gosh, you're, you run, uh, you own and have operated a very, very successful business. You've all, you know, you've been a high income earner for as many years as I think I can recall. And you have an amazing team of people. You've traveled the world, literally. You've gone to at least a couple of Olympics and uh, numerous world championships. Like you've got a lot of really cool thing going on, things going on that are fun. They're exciting for you. I don't travel with you, mm-hmm. rarely, rarely, because you're when you're working, you're working. It doesn't matter where you're at. So you don't need the distraction called a husband that says, let's go for coffee. And all the things that we do, so in your own performance, are you, how do you look at your, what you're doing? What do you, what do you pay attention to? Because you're a world-class, well, like I said, you're a world-class wife, you're a world-class mother, you're a world-class friend, business owner, you work with world-class athletes. So you're really performing in many instances at the highest level. And so what kind of self-talk or what work are you doing on a regular basis that allows you to do that because I think that most people or many people, I don't want to say most, um, many people look at you and go, frick, she's too busy. She's got too much going on. She's working too hard. I don't know, maybe whatever their judgment or assessment of that is, we both know that we love our life and wouldn't change it. Uh, That's us. But what do you do? What do you do that is that allows you, gives you the capacity to do that mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, Let's talk a little, about, a little bit about that. Okay, is this thing on? <laughs> that's a lot of. That's a lot to ask. Um, yes, the answer is yes. I yes, do, I, I do a lot of work. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny when you say that. People say you're so busy. You're so this. I'm like, I am not busy. I am the least busy person. You're. I'm complicated, and and it's complex to to run the matrix of my life and our life and our businesses. But I'm not busy. You know, when people want to see me or they want to talk to me, it, it I'm always available. If they don't want to, then they're because they're not trying hard enough. And so what I've really discovered is that I have to be really centered, uh, especially if I'm going into an event or or even like your 60th birthday party. I mean, to me, that was a, a, a beautiful celebration of, of everything that we've done, you know, inside and out in the work that we've done. So I got to create something, whether it's that or going to the Olympics with a client or supporting or going on stage and, or doing a TV show, I'm working backwards from being world-class. I think I told you last time, or, or if, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it, it, it's my own fault because one day I was doing some work on designing a business card and I had to get something out really fast. And I just wrote something out and I said, world-class performance coach for seriously motivated athletes. And I put my name and my phone number and on the bottom in brackets, and I don't know where I got this little sassy line, it's like by referral only. And I didn't have any clients. I had no clients. So I said, this is 25, 30 years ago, that I'm a world-class something, something. 
I don't know where that came from. I put my name and by referral only. And that context has lived with me. It's, it's no different than the Jim Rohn is like, don't set a goal that you don't, or, or goal setting is just about becoming who you need to and want to become. And that's, I think, what that did. It triggered something in me that I wanted to be the best in the world at something. You know, and if I was going to be a wife, I wanted to be the best in the world. I want to be your best wife ever. I want to be the best stepmom. I want to be the best, you know, blueberry picker. I don't know why. It doesn't mean better than. I don't want to be better than anybody else. I just want to show up. So the work that I do, if I'm in the gym with my trainer, Christine, who's she's awesome and with tons of patients, and there was Craig and, and then we had Juan and Kathy, like the people that I surround myself physically also want me to be the best in the world because they're supporting my dreams. And that's what I do with my clients. If they want to be the best in the world, I'll support them because that's what they want. But at the same time, I can't coach what I'm not. If I don't coach truly because I know what it takes to be the best in the world at something, then I have no right to be there. I'm not some, you know, I can't hitch my wagon to somebody and be the best in the world. I had to put myself out there, do my inner work, do all the Demartini work, do the Reynolds work, do Hoffman, you know, not, I didn't do Hoffman. You actually, yeah, you have to be Hoffman, (laughs) but ultimately if I'm not doing the work, I can't, I can't ask anybody to do their work. We use the phrase, often as coaches and and is operating on top of something so in other words what are you operating on top of so is that something that when you're working with your athletes your clients that you ask the question what are you operating on top of Mm -hmm. i've been asking it that and in different ways over the years yeah so what the hell does that mean (laughs) well it's where are you incomplete what is, what do you have going on? What self-talk do you have going on in your head? What do you know? You know, did you not pay your phone bill this month or did you yell at your mom or what did you do that you're still having an attachment to, or you're feeling guilty about, or you're bringing forward? Cause if you're bringing forward a lot of that monkey mind chatter stuff that's going on, or the feeling of guilt or shame, or if you're even excited about something in the future. It's not just about the past. It's about looking forward to, it pulls you out of the moment. So that's what I'm trying to get them to is like, we need to just dump it in the space, know that it's confidential, know that it's safe so that we can move through and, and feel that sense of lightness. You, you and I are both Brene Brown fans. And one of the things in the, her book, Rising Strong, one of the greatest questions, or no, it's not a question. It's one of the coolest statements that she uses is, you know, well, you ask yourself, what is the story you're telling yourself? Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and that's a little bit like that as well. You know, because if, if you're in, going into a conversation, you're going into a meeting, you're going into... Uh, something meaningful, but you're operating on top of a story you're telling yourself because it's just your experience. And it could be 100%. Well, it's 100% true for you, mm-hmm. but it's some version of what's true mm-hmm. because it may not be true for the person that you're talking with or the people you're speaking with. So you just have a story you're telling yourself. That would be an example of what you're operating on top of. Absolutely. But the whole point of that is it gets in the way of the rest of the conversation or being present to the conversation. So if I had, if I was operating on top of something, I couldn't be present to this interview right now. I couldn't be here looking you in the eye and asking you questions. So in other words, if last night when we went out and we had a great social evening, but if you did something that pissed me off and I hadn't voiced it or I, or I just decided to try and ignore it, but it was really pissing me off still, then I wouldn't be present to the conversation that we're having today. Would that be a prime example of operating on top of? Mm-hmm. And it's a skill set. I mean, the earlier I th- learned how to do that and learned how to have powerful conversations that weren't about judgment or just really being able to say, my experience of you 
is, or right now I'm experiencing a little bit of pissed offness because of something you said last night. If it's in how you say it. So my athlete clients or, or my clients or the people around me is really about engaging them in that level of conversation so that they can say what's going on for them, positive or negative, or what they're thinking about, what they're pissed off at, or what what was said or not said, or what happened, you know, a year ago. You know, one of the things, <laughs> one of the athletes I was working with this year, he said something about, well, remember two years ago at Worlds? And I'm like, no, I have no memory of two years ago at Worlds. Why? What does that have to do with today? And I realized in the moment is that if you're still operating on top of something that happened two years ago at Worlds, not not only are you just operating on top of a bunch of different stories or or personas or whatever you're making up, you're not present to what's going on right now. So no wonder you can't fully train. You can't fully get into your edges. You can't fully get grounded in your partnerships. You're still worried about something that happened two years ago. Well, because we've worked with athletes so much over the years, which, and maybe this, this is my, this is my story. I'm telling myself, I find that uh, my experience of athletes is that they do live in the past a lot. They do live in the story Mm -hmm. and, and, and I, I don't want to make that wrong, but it does seem to get in the way of being present to what's going on today. Yes. That's it. That is so good. Can we dig into that one? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Need more coffee. (laughs) Go. Okay. Um, Well, I think that truly is what the magic is about what I'm doing right now currently with my clients' business and and, and sport is that being present is so hard, yet it's the simplest thing in the world to do. So when you're living in the past, you have something in it, you have a reference point. So remember when, or with hockey, my hockey clients, they go like, you know, when I was a midget or my junior coach said this, or my draft year was this. So it gives them a sense of identity. It gives them something that they can relate to, Mm. that they they can pull forward and go, well, remember when I was successful at this and remember, 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 remember. So when when that starts to show up for me, I actually see it as a huge gap. And then I train my athletes to to link forward. So, okay, got it. Learned. Lesson. Got it. Now, what's the lesson forward? Because here's the other side, is that if you're so committed to your story and who that person was a year ago or two years ago to Wet Worlds or when they won the Entrepreneur of the Year Award and whatever, or their Rain Platinum pin five years ago, what have you done so far to make sure that as your journey continues, that that information, knowledge, and 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 insight comes forward so that you can create the what's next in your life. So that's where I really work is to not let them live in the past. I don't care if you're a gold medalist or Olympic champion four years ago. Awesome. Good for you. I want to know what you're going to bring forward and how you're going to take your what's now. And this is my my next chapter of my next book is called The Power of What's Next. So if I'm hearing you I know in my own training is that sometimes I think my memory's really bad because I just have no attachment to the past at all. Like, mm-hmm. and, but I can recall, of course I recall stories and I love telling stories that, you know, like anybody else, but there's, there's nothing on any given day that I'm linking the past to mm-hmm. like that for that's a sure. Skill set. That's a skill set. And, and I, and, and, and I think that's just over the years of training or whatever work that we've done and all the rest of it, but there's nothing in the past that I'm linking to on any given day, other than the fact that my experience or, or I'm using, I'm bringing my experience forward in terms of, you know, skill set or mindset or whatever that might be, but there's no stories I'm operating on top of, of the past. Like I, I'm not wishing it could have mm-hmm. been like it was then those kinds of things. I'm still guilty of living maybe too far into the future. So I can, I can, I can be concerned or worried about the future. Uh, but I'm, you know, it's taken me a lot of years just to be present and, and, and I, and I'm still not great at it, but where's this all going? 
So the question is, in terms of getting people to be present, how are you suggesting that they let go of the past? How is it that you, you know, be, we, we hear stories all the time. Like there's all the stories of my dad was this, my mom was that, um, you know, my last coach, da, da, da. Like there's all of that. How do you, so how are you having somebody get present and let go of all those stories? I mean, as coaches, we both, you know, somebody wants to get into their story and I go, you know, it's like, I don't want to hear your story. What's going on right now? Just tell me about that. Well, they don't know who they are sometimes without their story. So if somebody's on a journey and they, and they want to break through whatever that story is or who they thought they were, who thought they, you know, who they're not right now and who they thought they should be, is the is that bringing them to that moment where they can actually say, you know what, I, I really am really still living in the past or, but it's in the connection and the listening. So, so I can hear in someone's language if they have a fixed mindset or if, or, or if it's a fixed mindset, then I, I have no opening because they're more interested in who they were, who they thought they were, who they think they should be. So they're on this, um, it's like a trying to watch a ping pong game, you know, or, or it's, it's impossible for me to, to have an entry point. But if someone has their own little shift or momentary realization that, gosh, you know, my past was this or my past was that, but that doesn't affect me now because I want something more or I want something different or I don't want to have to live through that. Then I can ease them into a conversation about, okay, well, what part of that are you going to bring forward? What part of that are we going to use? What part is that can you see helpful for you in the future? Um, but the pasta is the pasta, you know, and it's really hard for people to not want that safety because really that's why, and that's why people don't grow or they don't get out of unhealthy relationships or they don't want to change is because it's easier to stay fixed in what what you know, in what you know. Gosh, I had about 15 questions just race into my mind right now. So let me just work through a couple of them at least athletics and business. They're often, it's like, I still use metaphors, analogies, stories. So when I'm working with my team, I'll often refer to team things. You know, first line players, fourth line players, high performance, low performance, you know, shooting for goals, da da da. What's the crossover that you see with athleticism and athletes and let's say a business person? Well, the similarity, first of all, is that we're all just people. Um, athletes are on the on the world stage. They they're fit. They're generally good looking. They they seem to have the life, the money, the the stardom, the 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 bling, the you know the hot cars and the fast chicks, or the fast cars and the hot chicks, or whatever you know we say. And they seem to have a life that we want, or that somebody, if you're looking on the outside, looking at from the inside, is very different. So when I'm working with any person. I'm saying, you know, who are you being in the context of the life that you say you want? And some of them don't have context. But the cool thing about sport is that we're also, in sport, we're allowed to celebrate. We're allowed to celebrate our wins. We're allowed to feel the highs and feel the lows. I did a seminar last week with some pro hockey players and I asked them, um, you know, we're working on energy, like powerful. How do you become more powerful physically? Because we're working on their skating or their weight or their strength or their explosiveness. And and then they get all fixed and think that's power. And then I ask them, well, what about intellectually? Uh, what do you mean intellectually? Well, do you have, you know, what's your mindset? What do you, and then I shifted it into, you know, mental performance or where your thought process go. Because there is really no such thing really as mental toughness in the way that they're being 
told there is. So I wanted to dig underneath that. And then I said, well, what about emotional? What about emotional power? And they all just went super quiet. These are a bunch of 18-year-olds. 18 to 21-year-old hockey players okay. already on their way, right? <laughs> Talking emotional. So I asked, I, but right, that's the definition. What's the context? I went, so do you love to win? And they're like, yeah. I Don't you hate losing? They're like, yeah. Well, don't you get super angry when the ref makes a dumb call? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, I just watched you guys go on a range of emotions. And you don't think hockey is an emotional game? I said, how do we harness that? And then we went into the third level of power that I'll introduce to them. So we go physical, intellectual, emotional, and then it's social. Like I don't use the word spiritual right away with some of them. I just, de- you know, depends on where they're at. I, um, I use the word social because there's a lot of power and, and shared confidence and energy on a team. Um, and then I, I bring that over to my business clients. Okay, where socially, where are you borrowing confidence? Where are you sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your support? Where are you at physically? Do you have the fitness to, do you have, the, do I have the fitness to do another four years of Olympics? You know, at my age, I don't know. I got to get back in the gym, make sure that I'm walking, make sure that I'm lifting weights, make sure I'm taking my bio steel greens every day. So I have to be doing this too. So when we walk through the levels of energy and where power lives, the last part that they weren't thinking about, these young guys, and I bring it forward in to the ice dance world and into my business coaching is where are you emotionally not using all your power? Give me an example of what that might sound like. What, what might, what might an answer sound like? Well, if I'm able to get to that with, with an athlete, especially, or with a business person, they'll start to open up. Um, I've obviously done a bunch of pre-work and, and trust building, et cetera, and defining the context of what it's going to be so that they know when they get to that, that if it's been something that they've been operating on top of, or they're embarrassed by, or there's something really in the way, like a secret, um, I call it a BFL you know, big fat lie that they could be operating on top of or stories. I could try to make it fun and, and humorous and safe. But one of the one of the biggest ones was, well, there was, you know, some real tragedies that's happened recently in hockey and in figure skating where, where 13, 16 people were killed on a bus in Humboldt. Um, recently, Dennis Ten, who was Kazakhstan champion, was murdered, you know, just because he walked up to his car and someone was trying to steal something. I mean, this the sadness creates emotion in us. And you know what? There's nothing we can do. So if there's no outlet to express or to feel that, then of course it's going to build up in the body. It's going to build up somewhere in the, in the emotions, in the, in the physiology. It's going to stop. So that space that gets created to actually just express whatever the emotion is in the moment, even if it's an I don't know. The you know does that is that helpful? Yeah, yeah. for me it was. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm totally getting it. I want to move on a little bit and start to shift. You know, you certainly worked with clients that, and I mean, you've you've got a great track record of with your business clients, for example, of helping them expand in business and create some real financial wins along the way. And but you're not a how-to coach. <laughs> so, for example, you know sometimes. I put on my how-to hat when I'm coaching a real estate investor or a business guy because they're or girl person, <laughs> and they're asking the they're asking very specific questions. How do I? And so I can do because of the experience that I might have in any given you know realm of real estate or business. I can tell them you know how to, and I can give them my experience or what I would do or would suggest they investigate. But you're not really a how-to coach. You're a... I'm a Y coach, W-H-Y. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, lots there's lots of hows out there. You can go online and, and, and download a manual 
for coaching or power skating or mental performance or buy a book or watch a video podcast, you know, read, read a blog. The, 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 there is so much information out there right now that we're just so fortunate to have. I mean, the realm of expertise, the podcast we get to listen to, everything is out there. But what's missing sometimes for people is they're still looking outside themselves. So if one of my clients is, is saying, okay, and we're in the process, I do some, some hows, like in some to-dos and some checklists and all that stuff, because you still, I still want them to have a sense of, of results and, and, and accomplishment so that they, we have celebration, you know, so there's action celebrate. to take and there has to be, to doing this, but underneath okay. that is the why is like, why are you doing this? You know, how many times, you know, the, one of the oddest things that happened a couple of times with me when after I did my my first Olympics um, in Torino in 2006, I got all these, quote unquote, these figure skating clients coming to me thinking that I had some magic pill for figure skating. So the parents would come out and we'd do a little coffee interview and then they would say, okay, I would like to hire you for my 16 year old daughter who's going to nationals next year. One thing would lead to another. I'd have two meetings with them. And then I'd get a call back and say, what did you say to my daughter or my son? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, what are you talking about? Well, she just just quit. And that happened two or three times in the, in right after the Olympics. And what I, I was like, what do you mean they quit? So I go back and circle into the conversation. And when you get somebody to the truth, even a 16 year old figure skater who was on her way to the national championships that had no reason to go because she didn't love it. She, she had no why she was doing it because her parents had put a lot of money into it. She's doing it because they'd spent time and money and energy and lessons. And she was told that she was never allowed to quit because once you start something, you have to finish it. So she was, had all this angst about something she just didn't love. And I'm not saying you have to love every minute, but it was so clear to me. So when I was talking to her privately, what I'd asked her to was say, what does it feel like? And she'd go, good. I go, no, no, no. What does it feel like? And she goes like, well, kind of bad. I go, oh boy. She doesn't know how she feels. Those are judgments. Those aren't feelings. So when I got her underneath it and connected her to what she was really feeling, she was feeling guilt for staying in the game that in the sport that she didn't love and almost in a sense, lying to her parents, lying to her coaches, lying to Skate Canada. So we get her through that, but underneath and what I was able to tell and share with her parents after, and this is a cool story, is that she wanted to be a world-class snowboarder. She didn't want to be a figure skater. She had no, no desire. So when the parent called and blamed me, I've had coaches blame me for kids quitting. I've had parents, I've had you know, federations blame me for things. Because when people get to their truth and they make their decision based on their truth, a lot of powerful stuff happens. She ended up within six months on the national snowboarding team training in Calgary. Like, come on. So if you're operating on top of stuff for whatever reason, you don't have a why or you don't, you don't have the, the space to go, I don't even love this. I, actually, I don't even like it. What do I do? And then boom. So I had the conversation, you know, with her mom and, you know, I saw her, I think in Vancouver, she competed in Vancouver at the Olympics. So that goes back to being authentic. True. Yep. Simple, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to me, anyways, it's like... Without the expectation. Like, how can... How many people do you know, Patrick? Really, let me just turn this back on you. <laughs> For how many years have people been living a life that they think they shoulda, coulda, woulda, or they somebody had told them one thing and it didn't have the outcome, or they should have this, and they should be a real estate investor, but what they really want to do is be a pianist, you know? <laughs> or you're you're just so not connected or you went to this school or you got that degree because someone told you you would do that. 
How many people do you know like that? Oh, I mean, gosh, we know lots like that That because we've worked with so many. I, I, I want to, you know, I'll share a story. This was, gosh, I don't even know how long ago it was we did a values to vision, what we call the values to vision, little workshop that we did with a number of people and really getting true to what your, you know, understanding what your values are, what you wanted to achieve. And there was a a mom that you'd work, I don't know if you worked with her or the kids, I don't remember. I th- they might have skated with you. I think they might have been with Quantum Speed. Anyways, they were there. So she had, there was the mom and two sons or one son. I don't remember. Oh, two sons. That's right. Good and, memory. And the one son, after we did the work, he approached you on the side and, and said he wanted to not quit university. He was going to university to be an engineer. An engineer. And, and, and he said, yeah, I don't want to do that. Uh, how do I tell my mom? Hmm. So do you want to finish that story? Because it was, it's, it's our story, but it was really. No, you, you finish because it was, um, it's, you finish. I mean, at, at the end of the day, he was being, it was a classic case of going to university, which is so common. Kids going to university be, to be something that their parents had aspired to be, whether it be a doctor or an engineer or, or any other, other number of things. And of course, in our universities today, it's why so many kids are graduating university and never getting a job in that field because it's really not what they want to do. This young guy got to where his values were not, he wasn't living his values. He he didn't want to be an engineer and he wanted to go to university. I don't remember what it was he wanted to grow up and be, but but he finally shared that with his mom at that workshop. That was huge. Yeah, it was huge. It was, it was big and, and she just... What was great about it? She just looked at him. She goes, son, I just want you to be happy. Which is just the truth. Yeah. Right. And I remember her coming up to me after and and because they were in the the full day workshop and the one, you know, by the end of the workshop, he's, you know, taking a year off university and and then applying, I think, to Grant McEwen College in in an arts program, I think it was where he could still play hockey because there was just all of these layers of things that, that they were doing. And, and they were like a late last minute registrant into that workshop. Do you remember? Like they came yeah. the last day, yeah. you know? So it was a very powerful story, but it happens a lot. And, you know, same thing has happened in, you know, am I in the right relationship? And am I in the right, whatever? And I go, I, I don't, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Let's drill down. Let's figure out first of all, why, you're doing and why are you asking the question is something off something missing is, there, is, is do are you getting a sense that there's something more because truthfully when you get somebody to get grounded to the truth and they have the courage to say the words to the person that they love the most or that they have the most amount of influence on or from it takes a lot of energy and it just lightens the load okay so i'm going to switch i want to go to a little different topic slightly different so we talk about perform we've talked about performance you know being true to yourself being authentic uh, a little bit about you know understanding what your values are your why uh what else did we cover in that if i'm summing it up is uh having the space to be fully expressed not operating on top of a story you're telling yourself so this really is about being how do you create the space to express so this goes back to you as a performance coach. Really, what you are as a space holder it is your ability to hold space for somebody, not take it on because you've heard some really tragic stories and and lots of emotion and lots of things, and you just can't take it on. But you clear the space; it's there for people to show up. And then, of course, what you're great at is bringing that out of people, guiding them, showing them how to do that. That opens up all of the things that it opens up opportunities. It opens up clarity and sometimes the outcome 
scares the shit out of people because they're going to go off in a whole different direction. They're going to, you know, tell the truth. No, I don't want to be an engineer when I go to university. I don't want to be a skater. I don't want to be a hockey player. And we've had that story wow. happen Many more than times. once. And guys walking away from an NHL career, for example, because the reality was that they didn't want to play freaking NHL hockey, money aside and fame aside. So we've done all that stuff, performance. It translates easily for you and for us. Well, primarily, well, this is about you. So it does translate really well for you into the world of business coaching and the things that you do. Let's talk a little bit about, I want to talk about money. You've been a high income earner for a long time. You've got really successful businesses, but you've got your own kind of gig, your little dance that you do around money. And uh, what is it about money? Like, how is it that you do that? Because I, I, I seem to work way harder than you do. <laughs> well, you know, it is funny. I, I had to realize, don't forget, though, coming out of school, I had university, I had debt and I'd taken on debt and I wanted to live on my own and I wanted to drive a Camaro and I wanted to have the life. But I, I didn't realize at the time that that life that I wanted was going to be really expensive, you know, so I learned how to do it, you know, on the fly. I, you know, I was, I was walking the line a little bit, you know, in my twenties, you know, I would shop at consignment stores, buy really high end clothing, you know, buy a, you know, get my dad to help me buy a car that I really can't afford. But I, you know, I started, then I, I realized I was being super inauthentic. I was trying to, I was pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. And, but it, it didn't stop me from having the, the awareness or the drive or the desire to have, you know, to be world-class or to be, have some, a really nice car one day, et cetera. So just as an example. So I had to understand that I had a relationship with money that was keeping me at a certain level. It was unhealthy. It was, I, I didn't respect it. You know, pile, bills would pile up and, you know, on my table in my basement suite and I'd be like, meh, you know, throw them in the garbage. And I didn't, I had no relatedness. And then, um, you know, as, as life happens, um, I started to do some inner work. I started to read some books. I started to understand and, and I need to take a course. And then, and then I met you, you and then you became my sugar daddy. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a whole other story. Well, yeah, let's start at negative zero to, at the time hey, together. But then I had to, I realized that money was an energy too, just like emotion, just like like air. It's all around us. I just, I couldn't see it and I couldn't figure out how to attract it. Um, so as I was doing the work around myself and on relationship and attracting the the, the relationship that I wanted, which attracted you. And, and then I started to, to really focus in on my stories around money and the self-talk that I had around money. And it's like, money doesn't go wrong trees or, you know, all, all the things about rich people and rich people are, are evil. And, and I started to listen to my self-talk and I'm like, no, they're not. I'm just jealous. So I worked through a lot of that jealousy stuff and I started to physically do uh, an exercise with myself because I was doing, you know, great work around context for my life and relationships. So I, I sat down one day and I wrote a context for money and how I wanted to, to embrace abundance. So I shifted it from money to abundance, prosperity. And then as I got a relatedness to what abundance and prosperity meant, then I could shift it back to money. And then it didn't become, it wasn't a dirty word anymore. It was like, wow, I, it's everywhere. So then I don't know if you remember when we, um, had the, and after, I think it was a, one of our maybe Demartini prophecies, we had heard about, um, busting loose the money game. Mm -hmm. Great book, but really um, deep. 
It's not just money game. It's, it's, it's life. And the relatedness that, that I, as I went through and did the exercises in that book and busted through my own money stuff is when I started learning about, you know, on a whole other level. Cause I was raised with, you know, mom and dad saying, pay yourself first, pay your taxes first. So I had all those, I had all the, the, the tools. I just didn't have truly a relatedness. And then I started to see where I was ripping myself off by not paying my bills and how disrespectful that is. Because what money really is, and you think of the word, you know, when a home increases in value, it appreciates. So I remember John Martini saying, money is just a form of appreciation. And then it just went clunk. And then money just started showing up all over the place. Busting loose uh, from the money game was uh, Robert Scheinfeld. Right. And, uh, it's pretty esoteric. It's pretty out there, you know, it, but it's interesting work that we really uh, embraced. I still actually use some of that thought process, some of that kind of energetic work around money to this day. And we read that book. It was many years ago that we read that book. And that was pretty cool. On relationship. Let's talk about relationship because these are some of the things that came up out uh, of feedback from people that know you a little bit or have heard of you or Anyway, so these were just some some questions. Now, relationship. Now, I don't want to talk about, well, okay, let's talk about our, our, our relationship a little bit. From your point of view, because you're the girl. Mm-hmm. So yes, I am. What's your view of our relationship? Why do you think our relationship is what it is? And what do you think it is? Hmm. You know what? How many people ask me that? And it's so funny because to me, our relationship, it's, it's, I just like you. Phew. <laughs> I like you. I respect you. Um, I've never looked at our marriage, quote unquote, as something outside of us. You know, I, I, it's it's a it's an entity that we created, the two of us that I'm committed to nurture. So to me, there's no way out. Like you're, uh, you, yeah, yeah, you can't get away <laughs> from me ever because. I made a commitment and I made a promise and you made the same level of commitment. And when you like somebody and you're willing to, to watch them grow, I mean, seriously, I don't think anybody fights better than we do. So that's true. I mean, I, I've, I've said to you many times, you know, you're so lucky you found me because nobody else could be married. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, right? So I'm such a wingnut. You're so lucky. No, but... But what is it about, okay, so we do, we, I mean, we go toe to toe and we, you know, friends and uh, have been <laughs> witness to that. I mean, friends that know us just kind of go, okay, it's just Patrick and Stephanie. It's not really, it's not, we're not fighting in a context of fighting that way. Yeah, maybe we are. It doesn't matter. So what do you think is the difference? What, what is the difference if you were describing it? Once again, you're the girl. So, um, I, you know, when you bump up against me, I'm, a, I'm a force to be bumped up against. There's yeah, no doubt. Um, so go ahead <sighs> talk to me. Hmm. Well, I think... We have some rules. We do have some rules. What's the number one rule? Number one, nobody leaves. Well, okay. That, to me, that's number two. <laughs> but what's number one? Come on. This no, is like a remember. skill testing Tell question. Tell me, what, what is the number one for you? We don't... Oh, it's not personal. Well, it's not only not personal. Yeah. We don't throw personal slides. Yeah, and we're not mean. We're not mean to each other. Yeah. We're never mean to each other. No. That's the, that is the fundamental basis of our relationship. Yeah. Like I would never, you know, caught, you know, push about something physical or, you know, you, you know, you're too short, you're too tall, you're too heavy, you're too, like, I don't, we don't do that name calling, nope. you know, th- that's not even in our, in our brains and, and it doesn't matter where we go. We just know we got to bust through what we got to bust through and we always get to it. So 
why do you think that's important in, in the world? Because here's the thing about success from my perspective. I mean, we work our asses off. It all seems precarious on any given day. We've achieved some really cool stuff. We do some really, you know, really great things. But at the end of the day, for me, when we come home, we've just got each other. That, uh, the rest of it doesn't matter. Really, it doesn't. The whole world could cave, you know, around us. And as long as we've got each other, then we're good. Doesn't matter because we're in it together, right? No, that's from the beginning. That's that's really what this, I think, because we started from, you know, just as friends. And when you become friends and you learn, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, warts and all, what's what's not good about somebody and that, you know. So to me, it's it's been a journey of discovery, self-discovery, relational discovery, like the fact that you know, I get to fully be myself. You know, I've been a redhead, a brunette, a blonde, you know, broke my nose, broke my teeth, you know, gained weight, lost weight. Like there's just a freedom when you're in relationship with someone who just is okay with who they are. Cause you're okay with who you are. And like, you're not, you're not putting or putting stuff on me that, or vice versa. We are who we are as individuals. And, and again, certainly not anywhere near perfect. And I don't even want to pretend to be, but what, what is, I think what resonates with people is that we just truly like each other. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, it, Certainly that's a big part of it. Uh, I also have a great deal of respect for you. So I, you know, and I get your train of thinking. I don't always agree with it, by the way. I I think that sometimes you're way, way too out there, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and so, but that's all part of your charm. It's also just, that doesn't take away from how much I like you or respect you. It actually intrigues me. I mean, a lot of my journey and each other's journey is we've been on a path together of learning. So from my perspective, you know, when I think about success, you know, the everyday millionaire, the whole podcast is seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. And we've achieved extraordinary results to the degree that we have. And the... And we're pretty seemingly ordinary. I mean, especially there's, a couple of North Side kids well, from Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, talk about coming off the wrong side of the tracks. Me more than you, but and that's not to say poor me. And and you you, but you did get a head start. <laughs> <laughs> True that. <laughs> you got a way bigger head start. So, but the point is, is that it's really, really boils down to communication, doesn't it? And we do tra- talk a lot, and we get into the nitty gritty, dirty conversations in terms of like. We don't, there's not, there's nothing, there's no secrets, like zero secrets. That's for sure. We don't, I don't lead a secret life. You don't lead a secret life. I journal a lot. My journals are freaking everywhere. I mean, you could pick one up any given day and, you know, my whole life is there. All my internal dialogue is there. I mean, gosh, and and we're just not interested. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Because you're the same way. (laughs) I've got my own shit. I don't need to read hers. So, but the point is, is that we have some really amazing communication around that. Uh, we do, we do. When we go toe to toe, we go to toe to toe. We're just never mean about it. Uh, we have, uh, lots of conversations about, we check in. I think we do a pretty good job. Uh, we check in, we're having conversations. Are we doing what we love to do? That's the biggest thing because we're now at a point, like I'm 60. I, I you know, I certainly, I, if I would have known this is what 60 feels like, I mean, gosh, I mean, this is awesome. Yeah. And, and, um, you're not that age yet. Uh, you're, you're catching up slowly. But the reality of it is we do have to check in every so often and say, are we sure this is what we're doing? We know that we're on the other side of whatever that line is. You know, I'm about halfway to how long I'm going to live. But the, the we, we I think we do a pretty good job of that, would you say? I think, yeah, I do. And it's work because 
you think really, really, really loudly. And I'm really sure a lot of times you think you've said something to me. Oh, for sure. Or I'm just ignoring you. I don't know. But there are some things that get created in the gaps that we're, we circle back and, and clean up. And that's, I think, what's different about our relationship is that our relationship is really just a conversation. Like, so when I look at it, even how I do my coaching or work with my clients, it's like, okay, a relationship, if it's just a conversation and a conversation is just about really staying connected to yourself, then it's not that complicated. Yeah. I think there's uh, something else though, too, is, and this is work that we've both done. You're way better than I, than I am. There's no doubt, but there, you know, you, I mean, you're an amazing cook. You, you find time, you, I mean, and you just keep getting better you look after me so well, which is not an expectation. And I don't know what looking after me, it's not like you're my mother, but you, you do a great job of supporting me. And, and I guess we do a great job of supporting each other, but you do a better job than I do. Like you do a better job of looking after me than I do looking after you, I think. Well, it um, depends on what you mean by that, because if you're just talking about the physical, my commitment is like early on in our marriage, I, I don't know if you remember this, but we'd be going on doing business and making money and having fun and hanging out with Aaron and doing the. Th and I'd go like, I think, frick, I think we need a wife. Well, we do. I mean, we still say that. Gosh, we do need a life. A wife. No, a wife. Not, not a life. A wife. <laughs> we got a life. Um, so, but okay. So here's one of the because this is always about learning. I want to share my own learning with people, and 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 one of the the uh, one of the coolest exercises I've done that I sometimes link back to when I remember is that if I'm ever feeling an imbalance, if I'm ever starting to blame you for something, which is just self-talk, is ultimately I go back to how can, and focusing on you. In other words, focusing on looking after you, not, or doing whatever, making you my priority. And then all of a sudden, all my bitchiness can disappear. It goes away. As soon as I'm focused on me, mm. poor me, or she's pissing me off because she didn't, you know, why, why are the clothes still in the dryer? Whatever that, whatever the story is, then if I go back to, and link back to the exercise, mm -hmm. that's a good one. That's a really good one. And, and I, I think that's ingrained in me now too, because there's a lot of things that, you know, I remember once when we were still living in Edmonton, <laughs> um, I would always find you and Aaron's really like this too. I'd find your socks everywhere. Like we were watching a movie, their socks would be on the floor. We'd walk into, walk into bed, you know, and watch a movie. We don't have a TV in our room anymore, but back in the day we did. And I'd find your socks or a t-shirt in a pile and it was always in the same place. So, and I get so mad about it. So, and our laundry basket was in this little walk-in closet. So instead of being mad about it, I just moved the laundry basket. Do you remember that? <laughs> sure. No, I don't, but, geez, but that it, makes total sense. But it shifted in me is that I no, I didn't want you to change or I just, I was, I was busy. I, but I wanted our shared space to be clean and pristine and organized and, and how I, how that is. So, you know, I learned a lot of that from you. So it was funny when I'd get mad, whether it's like you say about the dishwasher or the clothes in the dryer, this, the domestic stuff that I, I do love to do. I love to fold towels. I love, but I've really learned how to get myself supported in that so that I can take better care of us. So the people that I have created around me, um, my, my team behind the team behind the team, so to speak. So the fact that I could do what I can do to take care of you, I can take care of my clients is because I take care of myself and I get myself taken care of. And I have a, a, a especially a group of women out here in Mount Lehman that um, in Edmonton, my team, you know, with quantum speed, uh, my team, I'm teaching, which is super cool, teaching figure skaters, whether it's single figure skaters or just ice dancers about team. 
and mm. what that means and how to get yourself supported. So I'm um, an example of that. And so when you bring that up, it's because we understand team. You know, the, and, and I want to, this is such, was such an important lesson. I think this is probably one of the most important lessons that, uh, that you taught me. And, and that is that uh, for the men that might be listening to this uh, with your significant other, there is nothing more important than your significant other having look after themselves. So in your case, you needed women to talk to, you needed to be able to, you know, you needed a pedicure, manicure, whatever the things that women love to do. And I accommodated that, like whether it was, you know, flipping you a few hundred bucks to go get your hair done or whatever. I knew that you just, as long as I supported you in looking after yourself, you could show up to look after us and our family. And when I, when I see time and time again, is that, and I'm going to, I'm going to say women in general, the, the, the genetic predisposition of women is to be caregivers, Mm -hmm. but they do it at the cost of themselves. So they look after the kids, they look after their husband, they look after workmates, they look after their community, their, their in-laws, their, you know, their parents, like they're so busy that they're, and they're looking after everybody else and they forget to look after themselves. And I think that's probably one of the biggest gifts that, uh, that you shared with me. And I've shared it with literally uh, uh, hundreds of other men. And, and that's not to say it can't be the other way around. So I want to be careful given what mm-hmm. all the world's going on these days. But the point is, is that when your significant other, let's just say that, is really looking after themselves when they're at the core of looking after themselves, that gives them all the energy in the world that's required to look after all the other things that they need to look after. Or they choose to look after. Or they choose to look Mm -hmm. after. And, and so a mom who's drained because she's so busy looking after all these things can't effectively look after all she needs to look after. She needs to power down, rest, do whatever she needs to look after her, whether that's a vacation or a pedicure or a, you know, a workout in the bathtub, right? Whatever. Right. And, And then that's what powers them up again. Having said that, we've done really well at looking at all the things that we as a couple need. So, yeah, we haven't, you know, we do have people that support us, whether that's an EA or somebody that, you know, our, our housekeeper or whatever that might be. For us, that's a an, an expense, if you will, that we're totally prepared to pay and we're happy to pay it because it frees up our time to do what, not only what we love to do, but to be able to support each other in what we're trying to do in our lives. So I don't know where I'm going with that conversation, other than that there's a lesson in there in the world of defining success and and achieving extraordinary results. You can't be stuck in the ordinary. Well, I think when you say about getting yourself supported, and, and I'm really honored and pr- proud to hear you say that because it's hard sometimes to to say I need to look after myself or I need five minutes or can I have a couple hundred bucks to get my hair done or whatever especially if you know at that time early on I, I didn't have a couple hundred bucks I was making you know no money when I started to learn that I needed to take care of myself so that that support I had you know to be humble and I had to understand that in I I needed the energy to to learn how to be a world class performance coach because I was making stuff up I didn't have any mentors I didn't have anybody to to sh- flip me a book or there's no certificate you know there's going to be eventually but there was no certificate I wasn't a sports psychologist all I knew is that I had a gift and if I was blocked or working through my completions or 
living in a, a mental, emotional, spiritual clutter, there was no way I could take care of myself. And I remember we got through that and taking care of myself became actually on my list and it changes over time. It's in, in all seven areas of life. Cause right now I'm taking care of, you know, some pretty big business stuff right now and some big decisions that we as a couple are making. So I have to look after myself in those types of areas. And it's not an option, ladies. This isn't optional. There's a, there's two parts to this that I think has to be, I think there's a, this is a cool conversation in terms of learning and we see it times and time, time and again with so many people that we work with. And the first off is that when there's a, there is often a common story that goes with what we just talked about. So if you're looking after yourself or if you're feeling a need to do something, they can feel selfish. You, the self-talk might be is that, you know, it's I'm being selfish in looking after myself. But this is the old cliche of, you know, put your, you know, put, if your plane's going down, you put your oxygen mask on first because you're no good to anybody if you can't breathe. And really, this is the case. So first and foremost, whether women, men is irrelevant, really. If you're not looking after yourself, you are really no good to anybody else. Yeah, you're a liability. You're a liability. And you're not being effective. And not only are you living you know, a life that you're bitchy about, you're just not able to look after the people and the things that you want to look after. So it really is about being honest with yourself and what do you need to look after yourself. And it's not always external. And it's not always external. Or, or costly. Right. But the point is to bring your attention to that, what you may feel as selfish. Now, here's where it gets complicated with relationship is as I've taught, particularly young men as they go through and they're in the relationship and they're, you know, they may get a little bit bitchy because their girlfriend wants to spend, you know, a hundred bucks on a pedicure or whatever, I don't, whatever the, the deal is. And they see that actually as selfish. They go, we're trying to save money and she wants to spend a hundred freaking dollars on getting her nails done. Are you kidding me? Do them yourself. And the reality of it is, is that, so you've got already maybe somebody saying, well, I feel selfish that I want to do this. And then you might have a significant other going, you're being really selfish right now, because guess what? We need that hundred bucks for the family. We need it for the kids. That all may be true, but it's really coming to the conclusion as a couple is what do you need to do? Each of you to look after yourselves. It's the old saying, in, or I, I, don't, to, I think it's old, but maybe some people don't know. It's, you know, if you're living in the story that, you know, relationship or marriage is 50-50, you know, that's such bullshit. It's 100 and 100. So that's, you know, fundamental. But what does it take for you to look after yourself so that you can fully show up to look after somebody You know, else? it's funny, I just had a little aha moment as you're saying that, because, you know, I, I don't want to ever step over that this is or, or pretend this is easy, because it's not. But I've also linked taking care of myself to making more money. And that's when you, circling back to how the money games I play, is that I know that if I'm up against something, or I feel like a back against the wall, or I'm stuck, or I've hit my whatever limitations, and I can feel it, it's like everything comes to a screeching halt around me, even the money that I'm, I can see it, but I just, I haven't opened the funnel for it to, the channel for it to come. And it always always opens up when I take care of myself. Either I come into the gym, I go, I, I sometimes it could even just be bouncing on the mini trampoline. Some of it could be, am I too far away from the mic again? Sorry, hun. <laughs> I wish people could see us. We are adorable right now. <laughs> He's coaching me and I don't know if I'm too far or too close. Okay. You're just fine right there. Okay. okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Gosh. Don't I drive you nuts? See? Yes, yes. And he still loves me. Go. Keep go. talking. Okay. Go. 
What were you talking about? Attracting money by not looking after yourself. Right. Well, you're pushing money away or you're pushing what it is that you say you want away. Because if you don't value yourself enough, like, uh, you know, I, I have this story and I don't know if I should disclose it, but it's how I raised my rates one day. Did I tell you this story? I was... <laughs> I don't know. Tell the story. <laughs> well, I, I have a, an hourly rate when I teach power skating. And it was like, uh, you're, you know, $240 an hour, let's say. I'm just making it up. $240 an hour. And I was um, sitting at a red light and a client had called and said, I want you to do a small group of, of kids out here and skating and here. I won't tell you where it is. And I said, sure. And he goes, what's your rate? And I go, and I, I replied, uh, put the dollar sign. And I thought I said $240 an hour plus a bottle of wine. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I go and do these five sessions or six sessions with this group of guys. And the guy comes over and he hands me a a bottle, a really nice bottle of wine and a, and a, and a check. And I'm like, what? And he's like, what do you mean? I, and I didn't say anything. So I go in my car and I look at the check and I do the math. And then I looked at my phone and I had texted him $340 an hour and a bottle of wine. So that's how you got your raise That's increase. how I got my raise increase. <laughs> well so <then. laughs> energetically, I didn't know. So that's how simple and what a big of a shift that, that can happen. So it doesn't have to be, you know, so I sell my time by the hour and this is what I get and I can work this many hours and make this much money. When I busted that and realized that, it's limitless because I honor and I value so much what I bring to the table that of course they're going to pay me what I say I'm worth. And sometimes I can give my time away, quote unquote, for free because there's a way bigger picture, a way bigger upside. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with your folks. And so just to give you a little bit of a context for it, you know, there was a long time ago, you know, somebody once told me, they said, marry the girl, marry the family. So I met your mom and I met your aunt and, and I went, okay, if she's anything like these two. And my grandma. And your grandma, of course, Grandma Jane. <laughs> grandma Jane. So I said, if, if Stephanie's anything like this, I mean, awesome. I mean, the three most you know influential women in her life are three of the most influential women in her life. And I got, this has got to be great. So what was it? What is it? What was your relationship with your mom and, and, and your parents? Like, because you turned out pretty good. Your mom and dad are awesome. They're, they're still alive and living and they're 80. How old's your dad? He'll be 89. 89. My and, mom just turned 80. And, and I mean, gosh, they're just awesome. And he's hilarious. And, and they, they just are so, so supportive of you and Michael, your brother. So tell me a little bit about growing up just quickly. How important was you know, your relationship with your parents, did it morph? Did it change? Were you, were you born with a silver spoon in your mouth? What was that about for you? Hmm. I, you know what I kind of thought I was because there was, I'm sure growing up, nothing that we wanted or needed was, was everything was there. Um, I only found out later just how hard they had to work and, and who they had to become to, to provide us the life that we, that we had growing up. So they would, really do the best they could with what they had. So for example, the first, the second house they bought, they bought in a, on a North side, the exact same house was available on the, in the West end of Edmonton, which was more high end, you know, wealthier people, but the taxes were higher. So they made, and they couldn't, you know, couldn't see how mom was going to drive to work or, and it wasn't close to our skating rink. And so there was things that decisions that they made consciously to, to look after us and to give us that feeling of support and unconditional abundance. What the biggest thing I learned from my mom and dad is that they're friends. It doesn't matter. My mom was, is, and is still a huge influence in me. She's smart. She's funny. She's present. She's engaged. Uh, she's 
she chose to be a parent. My mom and dad chose to be parents. It just wasn't like, hey, let's have a couple of kids. They actually chose. And, you know, later on in life, I asked, I asked about that because, uh, you know, I chose not to have children. So it was a really interesting conversation. And she said, you know, you're going to know. She said, I consciously choose because I knew when I had kids, I would raise them to be a contribution. I would raise them to make a difference on the planet. So we were, Michael and I were raised with values that were quite altruistic and, and, you know, you know, one of the lines my dad used to say, well, you know, if you two can't get along, how do you expect countries to get along? You know, that kind of thing. So we were really raised with some social responsibility and 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 strong morals. And again, they're, they're friends. They're good friends. They've made really good decisions financially. They've stretched themselves into investments. My dad is a money magnet. I think he, he's the kindest person you'll ever meet. And I swear that's why he keeps winning things. <laughs> that's crazy. It's so funny. Well, we can go into that another time. But And my mom is is generous to a fault. I think that's where I, I get a little bit of that from when I've had to learn how to dial that back because it can land in a, in a disappointment or an expectation sometimes. So we've had to work through our stuff. In my teenagers, I, I got quite mean. I was not a nice teenager. I was angry. And, and my dad was my punching bag. And you know what? He never, ever gave up on me. He just kept being this quiet, loving space. And I, at one point, I remember having a breakthrough around that and going, how can I be so mean to this man who just loves me? And I had to actually step outside of myself at 16 or 17 years old and go, get a grip. How many people would love to have a dad that just loves them unconditionally and gives them 20 bucks whenever they need it and, you know, supports my crazy dreams of skating and, you know, all the things. So, so I was raised and it sounds like a silver spoon, but it wasn't, it was, it was grounded in in love and being present. And they did some work early on too. We used to think they were going bowling on Sunday nights, but it turns out they were going to some personal development courses oh, back in the sixties, <laughs> and they called it bowling. So, so that <laughs> anyway. So we found out that later too. So they were really present to how they raised us. So your mom was uh, very successful. She had done some really cool things. And, you know, she climbed a corporate ladder and and done all that. And and so how much pressure. Like, how did your mom, what was the relationship with your mom that kind of drives you to be, you know, live in that space called world-class? I mean, you, you know, as long as I've known you, you've, you've kind of had the tagline, I'm the best in the world at what I do. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. have a vision, you have a scope of, I work with world-class, world-class, world this, world that, Olympics this, Olympics that. Your mom she doesn't show up that way. You know, she's a, she's just a really powerful has been over the years that I've known her courses that she's been a pretty powerful lady that has in fact achieved a lot of things. How much of that was an influence of your attitude today? Do you think? Oh, hundred percent. I, you know, I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but it was just an, an, an assumption. It's just like, if, if, you know, this is what it is, there is no glass ceiling. You know, she was the director of computer operations for the Alberta government. And she would run that show. Her biggest client was IBM and Xerox and Amdahl. And she's meeting with these guys corporately. They're flying her all over. They're giving her suites at the Olympics and at hockey games and, you know, really taking note of her being a powerful woman and a decision maker. So I thought that was normal. You know, they went to a junior achievement IBM invited her to a junior achievement dinner after the Oilers, I think, won their first or second Stanley Cup. And Peter Pocklington was the owner at the time. And they're all sitting there at the table and she's the only woman. And 
you know, this is at the Four Seasons in Edmonton at the time, which is now, I think, the Sutton. I'm not sure. But so she gets up to call home because Michael and I are at home and we're at that age where, you know, high school and not really know what's going on. So she comes home, just she goes out to the payphone because there's no cell phones back then. And uh, she there's a young man on the phone and in front of her. And he hangs up the phone and he turns around and it's Wayne Gretzky. And he looks right at my mom, who's standing there right beside him, right behind him, waiting. He doesn't know she's waiting to use the phone. And he looks at her, and he's got to be 18 or 19 at the time as well. He's young. And he looks at her, and he goes, oh, would you like an autograph? And my mom just gently looks at him, and he goes, would you like mine? She knew who he was, but she equalized. Like, And that's what I've learned to do, is that there's nobody on a pedestal. And he started howling. So he waited, get off the phone and uh, with my mom and he walks her back into the table, walks her right back to her seat, sitting with all the IBM guys. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's with Wayne Gretzky. And they're laughing. Uh, eventually, I think they got each other's autograph. But that's the environment that I was raised in is that we're all the same. You know, we're all the same. As we wind down the show, because we've been talking for quite some time and is there anything that you would like to express for listeners? Is there something that we haven't touched on and or that a message or a lesson that you would like to share that you've learned or that you in working with clients have come to? Well, I, I don't know. Does that mean if I don't, would we get to do another one of these? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, only by popular demand. That's it. Okay. Um I guess I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I never know if I have a word of wisdom or if anything I say lands, you know, all I know is that when something comes out of my mouth sometimes and it's pretty brilliant, I go, write that down. <laughs> that was really brilliant. But it's, it's not contrived, you know, living a life, I call it the champion's journey. You know, it's an inner journey. Um, everyone's on one. We're all in performance whatever we do, whether we're teachers or janitors or politicians or actors, we're all, we're all performing. We all need to bring our best selves because the world needs our best selves. Like the world needs us as, as, as citizens and as, as contributors to, to not be operating on our stuff. Cause we're, if we're got all of our bullshit and our big fat lies in our way, then we're not going to pick up that piece of garbage that we see or stop the person who's got their cigarette out there, you know, window and lighting a fire. We're not going to be present to the changes that our planet needs or our communities or our society. So, so if anything, just, you know, do your own work. Do the work you need to do to get yourself settled, grounded, so that when you are on stage or where you are on the ice or wherever your performance lives, whether you are standing up and getting married, whatever that is, just to be present. I really like that. The champion's journey, which is a phrase you coined many years ago. Uh, the champion's journey. We're all champions. We all are on a journey. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. Be champions. In whatever. Well, what are you grateful for? The journey, for sure. Grateful for you, as usual. Every day I wake up in my meditation, the first thing I do is acknowledge you and us, what we've created. Yeah. I am grateful for you. I am grateful for the opportunity to uh, be able to share some wisdom and share some lessons along the way. Thank you for joining me today on the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. And... Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening in. We appreciate your feedback. Stephanie Hanlon, Francie, thank you again. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, hun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.